welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. So let's look at Joshua 9 verse 1. This is a great chapter. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland and all the coasts of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Bozites, all the Ites, Vegemites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites, when they heard about it, they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel. I want you to know today that the church, Israel, was never intimidated by the size of the enemy. This was a full frontal attack. They're not the attacks that we worry about. They're the attacks that we can see coming. This were all the enemies joined together. And it's amazing how what unites the enemy's purposes against you. So there were all these Canaanites, Perizzites, coming up against Joshua and Israel. And as I said before, it did not intimidate Israel. Bring it on. But, say with me, but. but. Verse 3. But. So we can handle that. I can handle when the enemy comes with his horns and I know it's him. In fact, it's, if you study history... When the enemy has come against the church in a full frontal attack, the church has always prospered. Study history, persecution. When we know who the enemy is, it seems to build the church. The church is built in, on the blood of the martyrs. So the enemy tried that trick and it didn't work. So it says, but, but when the inhabitants of Gibeon, Gibeon is 16 miles away from where Israel was located, at that time, when they heard what Israel had done to Jericho and Ai. Where was Jericho and Ai? It was located, they were located in the promised land. When they heard what Israel had done in Jericho and Ai, they began to concoct a plan. The promised land is a picture of the resurrected life. It's the picture of the believer getting a revelation of who they are in Christ, beginning to get a revelation of the calling that we have on our lives. And when the enemy realizes that you're beginning to step into that, he gets intimidated. And I want you to know today the enemy is incredibly nervous because God's people are getting a revelation like never before of who they are in Christ. Look at me. They're getting a revelation of their identity. They're getting a revelation that they can have their souls healed. They can walk in the spirit, that they're called to prosper, that the head and not the tail, that we are called to reach our city. We no longer believe in the separation of the church and the state, but we believe the church is called to infiltrate the state. They need Jesus. The kingdom of God is coming in all of its glory. We've stopped believing that, that we have to hold on till Jesus comes and everything's going to get worse and nothing will get better. There's a whole paradigm shift coming to the church. Is there not? I like it. I lived when it wasn't like that. We're getting a revelation that God loves us and that he's not always angry. Well, there's a good revelation. 
We're getting a revelation that, that you know, we don't have to whip ourselves when we mess up. That God's not continually disappointed and frustrated with us. We're getting a revelation and we're beginning to discern the lies of the enemy over the voice of God. We're learning how to tune in to truth. And this is what freaked out the enemy. So they worked craftily or deceivingly and they went and they pretended to be a delegation and they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wine skins torn and mended, old patched up sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves and the bread of their provision was dry and crusty. And they went to Joshua and said, look, here's the church. No, they said <laughs> to the camp, they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and they said to him and the men, we have come from a far country. Now when I read far country, what do I think? Heaven. Heaven's a far country. We have come from heaven. And here are our provisions. They are beginning to, to step into God's realm, his people, and sow in thoughts of deception in their lives because they, they are threatened by what Israel is beginning to do. They're coming with, with a deceptive thought from heaven to downgrade what we can believe for. Are you getting this? We have come from a long way away. The truth was they'd come from 16 miles. So therefore, make a covenant with us. The enemy wants us to make a covenant and downgrade what we can believe for in this generation. Has he done that to you? He does that to me constantly. You know what that audacious plan you had to be in the top 100 of, of, BR, of, of the rich list in Australia? I think you should downgrade that. Maybe 500. Or maybe just enough to get your kids a house. Maybe just enough to pay the bills for tomorrow. He wants to downgrade. So he comes with these thoughts and we think they're from God, but they're actually from the pit. And he's offering us a second-rate living. Why? Because he's threatened because we're beginning to step into our promise. So the men of Israel said in verse 7, but perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. It's a good word, isn't it? Perhaps. Perhaps you live near us. Well, there's a novel thought. How could we make a treaty with you? Because remember, God had said, make no treaty with anybody in the promised land. Every giant, every person you find, kill them. Every thought that's not of me, destroy. Take the promised land. Do not negotiate with the devil. It's the worst thing you can do is allow him to negotiate with the plans that God has for your life. So they said, well, perhaps you're, you live in this. How could we make a treaty? But, you know, the enemy's not going to come out and say, oh, you're right, I am the enemy and we do live here. No, he will deceive you. He is a liar and a deceiver. Did you hear that? And every thought that he brings to you must be challenged. And they said, verse 8, we are your servants. Oh, I've come to help you. I'm bringing these thoughts. I'm really about your welfare. I don't want you disappointed. You're dreaming too big now. I'm here to help you. I'm here to make things a bit more real. He's not your servant. He wants to be your master. He wants to destroy you. 
He wants you to downsize your dream. And Joshua asked these words that we all should ask. He said what? Who are you and Try that again. Who are you and where do you come from? Let's say it again. Who are you and where do you come from? Are you the devil or are you God? Who are you and where do you come from? See, the problem with Joshua and the people of Israel in this story is they looked at the natural surroundings. They looked at the bread, the garments, the shoes, And all these things that appeared to validate the story that these people had come from a long way away. They looked at the truth of what they saw, but they didn't look at what God had said. So you can look at your natural surroundings and form an opinion. The enemy can say this, this and this and this about your life that you've got no money, you'll never have money, you'll always be sick, you'll never achieve anything, and you can look at your surroundings and they can validate what the enemy is saying over your life. The bread, the garments, and the wineskin all validated their story, but it was a lie. Do you hear this? You may be looking at your circumstances today and they may be crusty, smelly, and broken. But we elevate the promises of God over the reality of our circumstances. Are you getting this? It may be true, but it's not based on the truth. So they said to him in verse 9, We've come from a very far country. Your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt. Liar, liar, pants on fire. That's not true, is it? They didn't come because of what God did in Egypt. You came because of what God did in Jericho and Ai. He's a liar, isn't he? And all that you did to the kings, the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. No, you came because of what happened on this side of the Jordan, not that side. See, the enemy wants me focused on my old nature, my old survival self. He's threatened not because of that. He's threatened because of what I'm beginning to see in the new covenant reality of who I am in Christ. That despite all my inadequacies, Jesus makes it all up. But the enemy wants me focused on my brokenness. But the truth is he's intimidated by my wholeness. Do you hear that? He wants me focused on an old way But he's incredibly intimidated because he's seeing that I'm about to step into something so powerful. I don't know if you can see this, but he's deceiving you or trying to deceive you into thinking that you are on the wrong side of the Jordan. You are broken. You are paralyzed. You are helpless. But the truth is he is threatened because of who you are becoming. Israel was beginning in this story to step into their future, their calling. See, Joshua 1-2, God says to Joshua, I've given you all the land, go in and possess it. They are starting to step into all that God has for them. And the enemy's freaking out. Now I want you to look at verse 14 with me. 
Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they didn't ask of the counsel of the Lord. They never stopped to say, God, is this your voice? Is this how you speak? Is this what you see about my life? So Joshua made peace with the enemy. He made a covenant with the enemy and he let the enemy live among them. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them and made an oath. How often we get deceived by the enemy. Do you remember I said the story about Adam and Eve? That's a picture between the soul and the spirit. That, and the truth of that story is this. And it's not so much about men and women. It's an analogy. The analogy is this. That Eve was the one deceived and not Adam. That Eve, the picture of the soul, if she had have stayed with Adam, she never would have been deceived. And if you, your consciousness, your personality, your mind, will and emotions, if you stay in tune with what the Spirit of God is saying to you, you will never ever be deceived. You will walk in victory. And they stopped talking to the Lord. They should have stopped and said, Thank you for that offer. We'll get back to you in a jiffy. They should have gone back to the Lord and said, Lord, we have an offer. We are hearing these voices that, that, that seem okay. They seem to be true. What is it that you see when you look at that? They seem like they've come from a long way. It seems to be heaven. But what do you say about what the enemy is saying to me or what this person is saying? What's your take on it, Lord? You need to question the voices and the stories that appear on your doorstep. Because not everything that comes to you is from God. Verse 16. And it happened at the end of three days. After they made a covenant with them, with them they heard that they were in fact neighbors who dwelt with them. That tells me every thought should pass through the resurrection and new creation mindset. If they had waited three days, it's the difference between the cross and the resurrection, between the old nature and the new. And every thought should pass through the new creation mindset. See, a lot of what's written, a lot of prophetic words, a lot of stories, a lot of preaching, a lot of conversations are based on an old covenant mindset that God's angry and ticked off with the world. He's angry at Christians. And I hear people telling stories and prophetic words and they are laced with an old covenant mindset and not a new covenant reality mindset. I should have just waited three days. You've got to filter everything through the new covenant reality that you and I are in Christ Jesus. And the way God sees me is the same way he sees his son. I can't help but win. You see, the devil, whenever I mention his word, I hear the word boo. The devil, he wants to deceive humanity about their true identity. And that's what he was doing to Israel. He wanted to deceive them about what it was they were and who they were, who they were becoming. He doesn't want you to see who you truly are. He is a deceiver. How do you know you're being deceived? He's a deceiver. He blinds people to the truth of who they are. 
He's a deceiver. He's a deceiver. He's a deceiver. His greatest weapon is to deceive you so you can't see who you truly are. That's his weapon. He blinds the minds of people so they can't see the glory of the gospel, the light of the glory of the gospel. Do you know 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3 says, Our gospel is veiled by the enemy. Do you know he veils the gospel both to unbelievers and to believers? He doesn't want anybody in this world to see the truth about who they are. That's his goal. He has one purpose is to blind you to the reality of who you truly are. Did you know that about the enemy? He doesn't, I'm harping on this, he doesn't want you to see who you truly are. And everything in his resources is aimed at blinding the eyes of every person on the planet, both Christian and non-believer, those yet to be saved. I shared this a long time ago in that church, but I know many of you are new since then, but This is what he does. The devil comes to the unbeliever and he attempts to veil their sin nature. And he says to them, there is nothing wrong with you. That's what the devil does. He veils their sin nature. So they think, there's nothing wrong with me. And then he comes to the believer and he veils their Christ nature. And he tells them, there's something wrong with you. Have you noticed that? It's called deception. It's a veil. So the unbeliever thinks, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. And the believer thinks, oh, there's everything wrong with me. Because he's veiling your true nature. He doesn't want you to see who you truly are. He is a deceiver. Boo! He's a liar. He's a liar. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. Don't believe a word he says. In fact, every word he says, reverse it and you've got the truth. Because he is a father of all lies. And he speaks out of his own resources. He is a liar. He's never told the truth. Do you get this? So every word he says is a lie. Those feelings you've been having from him, they're all lies. It's a smokescreen. It's not true. He doesn't like this, so you should put in the screws now and rejoice and say, Amen. Let's expose him today. He's a liar. And you all get we all get you know under the spell of his lies and we're coming out. He says to the unbeliever, if you were bad, you wouldn't do good things. He says to the believer, if you were good, you wouldn't do bad things. Did you hear that? That's what he does. To the unbeliever, if you were really bad, because all of a sudden they begin to search in their heart, there's something wrong. He goes, oh no, there's nothing wrong with you because you do good things. How often we heard people say, I'm going to heaven because I do good things. It's a veil. And he says to the believer, if you were good, you wouldn't do bad things. He's a confuser. He's a smokescreen. He's a liar. But God is in the veil busting business. 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, If anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The moment the Holy Spirit comes on your case, he comes to the unbeliever and he rips away the veil and they see the depravity of who they are inside. Their true nature is dead. See, God didn't come to make immoral people moral. He came to make dead people live. 
That's the deal. And so God removes the veil and they see the deadness of their heart. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But he comes to the believer and reveals the life that's within them. He removes the veil. Some of you need the veil removed a bit more so you see the truth about how much God loves you as a believer. He's passionate about you today. And there's a veil over many believers of deception, lives, wrong teaching, wrong belief systems. See, when they partook of the bread, it was a wrong doctrine, a wrong mindset that they were ingesting into their life. So they began to have a defeated mindset. Take the veil away. In Romans chapter 7, Paul uses the analogy of a woman lawfully married to her husband, which is a picture of our dead nature. Paul says we're all like that. We're all born into sin. And it's like a woman. So the picture is a woman being married to a husband, and the husband is the picture of your fallen nature. And he says there's no way to be free of that. You are stuck with that forever. See, God doesn't believe in divorce. In the Bible, it's the two will become one flesh. And so Paul uses this analogy to show us what's going on inside. He says the moment you are born into this world, you are married to a husband who you are bound to relate to and the fruit of that relationship, husband and wife, is always death. You have, does it, so you can look like you're doing good deeds, but the truth is if you have a fallen nature in you, you can only produce death. You can, you can cover it up in all sorts of lipstick and, and put on a fancy dress, but the truth is inside those good works is rooted in death because it comes out of the nature. You're either in Christ or in Adam. And Paul's saying... All the world needs to see the truth about who lives inside him. So to the unbeliever, he reminds them they are married to first Adam. They have a sin nature that the Holy Spirit wants to expose so you can be healed. So we have a problem though that once you're married to someone, you can't divorce them. Romans 7.2 says, this is not a message about divorce by the way. You understand, don't you? It's an analogy. Romans seven two says, "By law, if a married woman, so by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. If that first husband, that nature dies, she can get remarried." So here's the story for every unbeliever: either you die, or your husband dies. The only way to be free of that relationship, and this is what the Holy Spirit does, he comes and he shines his light on the inside of every person in the world and he wants to expose that they are married to a fallen nature and the fruit of that is death. And he says to them, you want to be free? There's only one way, two ways to be free. Either you die or your husband dies. And so this is the deal. We can either die and take the penalty for our sin, that fallen nature, or we can let the husband die I don't know about you, but I'd rather my husband die than me. The wages of sin is death. So you either take the blame for all the sin in your world for that fallen nature, you pay the price, or let your husband pay the price. How many people would rather their husband pay the price? So Jesus became that, that husband, didn't he? he? He took on our sin. 
How could God kill the first husband? Well, that nature was inside us and we could never kill it. It won't die by itself. So Jesus took that nature upon himself. He became that first husband. And when he died, our relationship to our husband was broken forever. The only way you can get a divorce or a separation from your husband is for someone to die. And if you go off and chase somebody else, you are called an adulterer. What does that mean? You want to jazz up your relationship and we go and have an adulterous affair? You know what that is? That's like the world trying to get away from their sinful nature and look, look for peace and purpose through yoga or, you know, or words of peace on channel 31 where, where the man says, you want to find peace? Just look deep within and deep within you. If you look hard enough, you'll discover that there's this inner reality and, and truly peace is found within. And I look at that and I think the only thing I find within as an unbeliever is darkness. I don't know what in, where you're looking, but if you look inside me, without Jesus, it's all dark. And all these people, whoa, this is so amazing. How stupid could you be? You're here because there's nothing within. And whatever, it's an old husband, a critical, mean, disastrous, dead nature that's killing me. So you can put lipstick on the relationship. You can jazz it up. But the truth is, while you're, while you're alive, you're either married to Adam or married to Christ. And if you're married to Adam, you have a dark nature, which the Holy Spirit wants to expose. And he says, I've got the solution for that. Let Jesus put that nature to death. Let him be the first husband. He'll take that nature upon himself. He became sin for us and he killed that nature. And so you can say, I am now free to be remarried because my first husband died and I'm going to get married again to Christ. And Romans says, when you get married to Christ, you will then begin to bear fruit to him. Whoever you're married to, you give, birth, you give birth to that seed. If you're married to Adam, you will give birth to a fallen nature. If you're married to Jesus, you will give birth to life. The enemy wants to blind you. So you think, as a believer, there's no life in you. You're broken. You're sinful, full of problems. And if you're an unbeliever, that everything's perfect. God is in the veil-destroying business. He wants to open your eyes so you're not deceived and you see the truth. If you don't know Jesus today, you need him. You need him. If you're watching this on the YouTube, on podcast, there is no way to deal with a sinful nature except you allow Jesus to pull it to the cross and kill it. And then you get remarried to him. The analogy is he will come and make his home in his heart. He will have relationship with you. His seed will come in you and you'll produce little baby Jesus. Called the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. It comes from intimacy with Jesus. Intimacy with Adam produces death and destruction and selfishness. And it may look like good deeds, but the root of it is death. And Jesus comes to rip away all the deception. So he takes away the veil. The purpose of the law is to examine my life and to condemn me. Let's not make any mess of this. The law of God, the commandments of God are to examine my life and make me feel rotten condemn me. 
I look inside my life and I say, why do I not want to please God? Why is there rebellion in my heart towards God? Why do I want to lead myself? Why do I resist a loving God? And the law comes to expose there's something wrong inside me. But grace comes not to condemn me, but to affirm me and say that Jesus now lives in me. Examines my life and says, you are loved by him. It's the law of sin and death and the law of the life in Christ Jesus. And the law of life in Christ sets me free from the law of sin and death. Grace and the law in Christ in Adam. See how God removes deception? Either I am in Christ or I am in Adam. But the devil deceives us. He puts a veil up. He makes Christians feel terrible and unbelievers feel positive as far as self-assured. I don't need God. I'm a good man. Why would I go to hell? He'll send Hitler to hell, but not me. Really? He says, if you break the law, one law, you're guilty of breaking it all. Because the standard you have to measure up to, to relate to me, is called perfection. So either Jesus lives in you, in all his perfection, and you let God relate to you through Jesus, or you try it through your own perfection. All the best. I want to say to you today that Father God is always going to relate to you out of your new nature. So when the devil came to Joshua through these giants, he was trying to relate to them through a fallen mindset, a old covenant mindset, an angry mindset. The bread of provision was crusty, it was stale, there was no life in it. You know what it's like, it's performance. Do this and I'll be pleased with you. Hebrews 11, when you read the highlight reel of so many saints that we know were scoundrels. It's like, really? That's how you sum up Abraham and Sarah? We know the truth because we've read Genesis. We read the truth of their life from cover to cover. But, but you're choosing to do this little funeral thing where you're highlighting all their best bits. And I felt the Lord say, Andrew, that's the way I see you all the time. I only see your best bits. I only see your highlights. People may act like that for a day when they celebrate a life, but that's how I see you every day. Love never fails. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And I'm sitting in a funeral thinking, how amazing that this lovely woman was highlighted and nobody left feeling anything but love and warmth and how amazing that life has been and the impact. That's how God sees us every day. He's telling all of heaven, look at my child. Look at what they've done. How amazing they are. See, the devil wants to veil. So we've talked about the unbeliever, the old nature, but the devil wants to veil how God is feeling towards you this day. We think he's obsessed with our faults. God's just highlighting all our good points. And that's one of the reasons why we don't hear God speak. Have you ever talked to someone who says, oh, I never hear God. He doesn't talk to me. Oh, I talk to him, but he doesn't talk back. I think he's in a bad mood. He's very quiet. <laughs> the problem is that you're waiting for God to speak a language he doesn't know. You're waiting for him to beat you up and criticize you and remind you of all your faults. That was the old nature that was put to death. It was a fault-finding nature. 
It looked for everything wrong in you. The new nature looks for everything that's right in you. Are you getting this? It's foreign to our way of thinking because we've all been immersed in a sin-soaked culture that highlights everything wrong. And so you go and you do a performance and everything's marked. Right, you did this wrong and that wrong and that wrong. I've been to performances, and I'm going to be careful what I say, but, and, and heard people mention them. And all they've done is highlight the one thing that was wrong. Yeah. Their eyes are attuned to the negative. But God's looking for the one thing that we do right and celebrating it. He's not having the conversation that you're having with him. And so we're like, it's, we're on two different wavelengths because he's saying, he's, he's highlighting, highlighting. He's in the funeral mode. He's saying, you're so amazing. These are the pictures I have of you. These are all the things that you've done right. He's looking from one mountain to the next, one highlight to the next. We're looking for him to comment on all the lowlights. Everything we do wrong. Our father's not like that. It's called deception of the enemy. And it's so ingrained in us that we're attuned to a voice our father doesn't have. Do you know when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit? That is an indication of how we, are attuned, how we are to attune ourselves to the voice of God. We thought they were about fruits that we should develop. What if it's more about the way God speaks to us? I speak to you with love, joy. Other words I'm speaking to you, joyful? Do they make you sad? Do they bring peace or anxiety? Are these words full of self-control? Or am I grumpy and you must, you must improve? Think about all the fruits. Are they kind? Are they gentle? Are the words faithful to you? So we thought we, these are things that I must do to get God to love me. Right, let's work on the fruit of the Spirit this week. And there's a degree that we want to be more like Jesus. But what if the fruit comes from hearing God speak to us with those fruits? What if, if I listen to him speak to me with love, will that create a fruit of love in me? Because remember, it's a husband coming together with his wife and the wife bearing the seed of the husband. Isaiah 53, 700 years before the crucifixion. Jesus takes all our pain. It's an amazing chapter to read. Everything, the wrath of God, and let's not downplay, God was ticked off with sin, because of what sin does to you. He was angry at sin. He was really angry. And all that anger was placed on Jesus, so much so that we couldn't even recognize his form. It was a violent occasion upon sin. And the prophet saw that 700 years before it happened. But he then goes on to Isaiah 54, which is, the new covenant person. Remember how it starts? Sing, O you who's barren. For more of the children of the desolate woman, think about this, than the children of the married woman. He goes into the revelation of the new covenant. And then he goes, and we're almost finished, he goes into verse 9, and he talks about the days of Noah. How many people know about the covenant or the oath that God made with Noah? Does anyone know it? It's not a trick. What did he say to Noah? He said, it will never rain again. Everybody knows that. We see a rainbow and we say, that's a sign 
that it's never going to rain again. Sorry, not raining. Never, the, the world's never going to flood again. It feels like it's never going to rain again. It'll never flood again. So no Christian that I know is afraid at night that the flood's going to happen again. So when we hear the rain outside and it's really beating down, we're not thinking, oh, this is, oh he's going to do it again. He's really ticked off and he's going to flood the world again. We never think that, do we? Is there anybody? How many people know about the rainbow? Most of you. Okay. Some people still trying to work out how to raise their hand. He says, we're almost finished, so don't miss this. This is like a new covenant. Wrath on Jesus, a uh, wrath on sin. And now it says, this is my disposition. Get rid of deception. Get rid of the veil. This is how I feel about you. This is like the days of Noah to me. Isaiah 54, 9. When I swore that the waters of Noah would never flood the earth again, so I have sworn, listen, that I will never, how, how often? Never. never. I will never be angry with you or I will never rebuke or condemn you. Did you get that? God says, here's one oath. You can bank it. I'm never going to flood the world again. And here's another one. You can go to the bank on that. Here's the next one. I'm never going to be angry at you or rebuke you or condemn you. He says that. That's just ripped away a big veil. That says God is ticked off, angry, disappointed, discouraged. It's a lie from the enemy. It's offering up crusty bread that we, we keep taking. And we read prophetic words. God is angry at the world. Really? Well, he better crucify Jesus again. It didn't work. He's angry at the systems of the world. He's angry at what the devil's done. He is not angry at people. Did you hear that? Prophets hear the word of the Lord. God has made a covenant. He has made an oath. I will never be angry at you again. And I will never condemn you again. You can carry that all the way to the grave. If you reject God's love, well, you will receive the just reward. But it won't be because God has not reached out to you. He will love you to the end. He says, for the mountains may be removed, verse 10, and the hills will, can shake. But my loving kindness, that word loving kindness is said. We talked about that. I've talked about that to some people before. And that word means my persistent and unconditional tenderness, kindness and mercy, where my love pursues you. He says, hills can shake, mountains can be removed, but my love, my unconditional tenderness and love will never be shaken. Did you get that? You can, you, you can believe that I'll never flood the earth. Now, this is what you can believe. I'm never going to be angry at you. But more than that, my unconditional tenderness and love, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to, pursue, I'm going to keep coming after you. I'm going to track, track you down. I'm going to follow. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to be, I'm going to be there every step away. I am going to be for you. I am going to pursue you with my love. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. That's what he says. And my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has tender affection for you. So if you get a revelation of that, Isaiah 54 finishes with these words. So no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you can condemn. 
You say, no, 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 actually, you didn't come from heaven. I smell a rat here. You've come about 16 miles. And that bread, that bread is a fake. The garments, you ripped up yourself. The wineskin, you got from Aunt, uh, Uncle Harry. I know where you got it from. I saw it coming. You are not from heaven. You are a liar. You are a deceiver. Every weapon that rises against you in judgment, you have the authority now to condemn. Did you hear me? And my righteousness is from him. This is the inheritance of the saints. This is our inheritance that we don't have to put up with deceptions and lies anymore. The veil has been exposed. It's been torn down. And when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And we all behold his glory with an unveiled face. We see the truth of his glory. What's his glory? His opinion about who we are. That's what it is. It's the way God thinks about us. We step into that glory and we're transformed from glory to glory. We keep getting more and more revelation about who we are. So God's delivering you today from deception. He's taking away the veil and you're beginning to see the lies of the enemy, the thought patterns that have come in that have demeaned you, that have highlighted an old nature and not a new. Now, you may live out of your old nature, but it's no longer true because you are in Christ Jesus. And all you need to do is say, that is not me again. I don't react. I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. This is who I am. Start feasting on the new bread and the new wine. Step into the new garments the way God sees you to be. I rebuke deception. I rebuke the veil. I take it off your eyes right now. The God of this world may have blinded the eyes of people, but he hasn't blinded your eyes. You can see. You can hear. You know the voice of the Father. My sheep hear my voice, and they will not follow the voice of a stranger. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. More and more freedom. More and more freedom to step into who you are. We're seeing who we are, and we're stepping into that. Isn't that exciting? The fact that you exist should make you very excited. Because remember this, God always starts with the end. And the fact that you have stepped into the promised land means it's all over Red Rover. Because God begins first at the end and comes back to the beginning. So if I exist, if I'm born again, it's a reality that God has completed his work. Did you hear that? That's why the Jews read from the right to the left. From, the, from the, that side to this side. We read from that side to this side. That's why we start the week on Sunday, on the seventh day. We start with the work already completed. We rest, then we work. That's why the Jews start their day at night. We start it in the day. We work, then we rest, they rest, then they work. It's all done. We begin to see what he's done for us. The fact that we are here and born again and we exist is a proof that God has finished the work for us. He finishes it completes us, makes us whole, comes back and says, I have given you the promised land, now go and take it. And they get a revelation of that. We are stepping into the reality of who we are. You should have confidence that the the fact that you're born again means it is done. God will have his way. He will complete the work he started. And the devil knows that. And so God takes away the veil and you see there's nothing the devil can do to stop. I will gain the victory. 
I will see it through to the end. I will be all that God has called me to be. I will not feast on your lies anymore. We're concerned that we're going to finish the race. I'm telling you, the fact that you've turned up to the race means it's all over. Because he runs backwards. You complete the race, then you start it. And it's funny because we work the other way around. We think, I've started, will I finish? He says, no, you've started, you've finished, so let's start. Amazing. That's why he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's all in all. He's finished the work for you and you're stepping into your promised land in all its fullness. And when you know the end is secure, you can begin with confidence. Can you not? Oh, I wonder if I'm going to make it. You, you're going to make it. Because he's in you and he's victorious. He's never lost a race. So take away deception. And see what he sees when he looks at you. So, Father, this day, we bless you. We thank you that you are in the veil-removing business. You tore the veil at Calvary, and you continue to tear the veil today. And you're causing us to see what you see. And today, if you've never asked Jesus into your life, the first veil that needs to be torn is the veil of your self-reliance, and that you are good enough to, to be a friend of God without God inside you, that you, you can manage your own life, that your righteousness or your good works are enough. They are not. And God's speaking to you and saying, you need to put yourself right with him. You need to allow him to come into your life. If you've never invited him into your heart, he wants to kill that old nature and replace it with his life. He says, I have come that you would have life and life to the full. And there's nothing like the abundant, eternal life of Jesus within you. If you've never asked him into your life, you can do that today, either on the podcast, the video, or even here today in this service. While every eye is closed, if you've never done that, and you'd like to ask Jesus into your life, would you raise your hand? I'd like to pray for you. Is there anyone that you've never asked Jesus in? And you'd like to do that to anyone at all? Okay. Father, I, I pray for every other person that they would allow you to rip away the veil of all their anxiety, frustration, failures, wrong perceptions. You would tear it away and they would see a covenant of love that you've made towards them that you are highlighting all our good points. And we say, but God, what about all the wrong ones? But you say, I see you as I see you. I see Christ in you. And you call us into our fulfillment. You, you've finished the work and now you're drawing us in. And you do that by highlighting who we are in Christ. Thank you for that today. Thank you for your spirit of truth here today. Thank you that you've set us free from deception. And church, would you just lift your hands where you sit today? Father, by your spirit, I break every deceptive word of the enemy. Every feeling of being inadequate, every thought of shame, regret, inferiority, I break in the name of Jesus. And I speak into your spirit this day, the eternal the eternal joy and gladness of the Father 
over your life. We say, but God, and Jesus says, but Jesus. We say, but God, look at what I've done. He says, I can't remember that. I thank you for that, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would just cause them to have glorious thoughts, that they would feast on you and not the enemy. Father, cause them to tune in to the victorious thoughts and words of heaven. You are the fruit of the Spirit. You speak to us with words of love and joy and peace. You're so good to us.